Robots are improving efficiency in modern warehouses. Today's guest is Akash Gupta from Gray Orange Robotics, a company that designs and manufactures robotics systems for distribution and fulfillment centers. These robots are incredible. They pick items, they move shelves around, and they coordinate with each other. In this episode, Akash and I discuss the software and hardware challenges of making a coordinated system of robots. The audio quality for this episode is not perfect, and we're sorry for that. We recorded it last year before we had all of our audio processes worked out, and we've been considering whether to post it or not. We think the material is interesting enough that our listeners will like it in any case. If you're a fan of Software Engineering Daily, we really want to know how to improve. Please take five minutes to fill out our listener survey if you have not already. There's a link to the survey in our newsletter and on our website, and we really want to know what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of, what you think. We just want to know about feedback. So please fill out that survey and get back to us. Akash Gupta is the co-founder and CTO of Gray Orange Robotics, an industrial robotics and automation company based in Guragan, India. Akash, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeff. Great Orange Robotics focuses on automating warehouses and distribution centers. Tell me about the two products that you have built for warehouses. Right. So we have uh, two products uh, majorly called uh, sortation systems and uh, butler systems. So sortation system was something which we came up uh, earlier. So we start with that. So sortation system uh, basically sorts shipments. Uh, so once the different e-commerce companies, uh, you know, pick and uh, pack the items and, uh, you know, they turn into a shipment, then uh, they put these uh, sort um, them into a conveyor-based systems, uh, which has uh, different kind of, I would say, deflection arms or uh, uh, a deflection base where uh, they get sorted. So let's say once you have, uh, you know, packed uh, the shipments, you want to sort them into either different courier vendors or different uh, regions and things like that so sortation system basically allow you to distribute them quickly into you know different regions and then uh, ship them very quickly so yeah that's that's what sortation system does uh, we do around uh, uh, 6000 uh, shipment sortation nrr uh, so yeah that's that's it i think we are coming up with uh, one more uh, new sortation system called crossbell sortation uh, which uh, will have the capability of doing around 12,000 to 18,000 uh, shipment sorts per hour. Sure. So, and let's let's start let's start by talking about the Butler actually. So, what what is the Butler? That's the other the other system that you mentioned. Right. Uh, now, Butler is basically a group of uh, I would say intelligent uh, autonomous ground vehicles, uh, basically who can uh, collaboratively uh, do different uh, stuff in warehouse. So, the concept of butler system is basically uh, a kind of goods to man principle. So normally what happens in uh, warehouses is that uh, as soon as you place orders, right, uh, it goes to the warehouse and then, uh, you know, people start going towards the, you know, inside the warehouse to pick those items and get back for packing, right? So now what butler system does is it basically completely reverses the whole phenomena of a person going to the you know, inventory inside the warehouse and, uh, you know, picking the items that have been ordered. Uh, what Butler system basically does is that uh, it 
whenever the order hits the warehouse management system, it makes sure that the butler, you know, comes with the MSU or the rack that contains the items to a point which we call as pick put station. Uh, so instead of person traveling and doing all that, uh, he, he the person stands still while the items keep on coming uh, to him, which he needs to pick. So basically, it reverses the whole phenomena of uh, you know goods to you know people to goods to goods to people. So so yeah, that's that's in nutshell uh, what the butler system does. And- right, and so to 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 put a, a cap on that, so you have these butlers, these little square robots that move around yeah. on the ground, and they they'll they'll pick up shelves, entire shelves of items, and then they'll yeah. bring these entire shelves of items to the picker and then the picker just selects items off of those shelves and puts them in boxes is that correct right that that's right during uh, picking we have a lot of uh, other indications as well like uh, pointers and there's a graphical screen as well to help him identify which are the items that you need to pick uh, from the rack that has arrived in front of him hmm so tell me about the different hardware components of the butler system because there's there's not just butler there's also some other pieces of hardware right. that, that interact with this platform that's right so uh, if we look at different components of butler system we are talking about butlers then we are talking about uh, auto docking and charging units as well so uh, uh, because we want to make system very very independent of human beings the robots go and charge themselves uh, on auto docking station. So again, auto docker and charging station is one another component. Uh, another component is basically the pickwood stations. Pickwood stations is basically, I would say, the stations at which uh, the butler brings the rack and uh, where people uh, do the inventory picking and transaction of inventories. Uh, so another thing that normally is uh, uh, emergency system, which basically ensures uh, the operators or the warehouse manager to stop the system at any point of time. So yeah, these, mm. these are the different uh, elements of, uh, you know, Butler system. So tell me more about the Butler warehouse control system. It seems to be there's like the central system of control that, that dispatches actions to the butlers. Is that correct? That, that's right. So normally what happens is that uh, although the whole thing is still very distributed, uh, uh, the whole architecture is still very distributed, but there is a, definitely a central system that uh, makes sure that the distribution of uh, different tasks uh, is done uh, in a certain way. So so, uh, so basically, see, one, one thing we need to understand in Butler system is that uh, uh, when a butler comes with a rack to a station, he's not... Uh, the butler control system is uh, making, trying to make sure that uh, the the person picks multiple items from that rack rather than one single item, because uh, uh, else uh, you know there's a lot of optimization that needs to be uh, done because else bringing one item, uh, one rack for one item is not very very efficient. So so butler mm-hmm. control system basically optimizes and you know merges the orders together and make sure that the number of uh, racks required to fulfill orders is very very less or a very minimum again yeah. this goes back to putting strategy as well right so what you try and do is that uh, items that are being ordered very frequently you try and put them in same racks or similar racks and items which are being ordered uh, together so let's say if uh, iphone and a 
you know iphone cover is being ordered together so uh, butler control system make sure that while putting they are put together in the same same rack so whenever uh, you know whenever that rack comes for picking the, a person can put uh, pick both the items so butler the butler control system basically optimizes different algorithms as well as uh, once it has identified that which rack needs to go to this which pick station it uh, you know assigns that task to a butler to kind of uh, get that rack to the pick station you know mm-hmm. another sense of optimization that happens again is uh, that's again very core part of the butler system is uh, things like path planning path reservation and uh, you know uh, we we again use uh, optimized form of a star algorithm to kind of find the right uh, path for for the butlers uh, also we need to understand that when you say that okay butler go from point a to point b right you cannot reserve the complete path because then there'll be a lot of traffic jams so you do dynamic reservations of path uh, while a butler moves from point a to point b So yeah, that's that's another very core part of uh, the whole Butler uh, control system. Interesting. So now that we've talked about the Butlers, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about them going forward, but um, let's talk about the other robotic robotics platform, the Sorter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as you mentioned, the Sorter is kind of this uh, conveyor belt um, system that that moves moves things uh, into it sorts things into different different uh, categories. Yeah. And so in in is that accurate? Yeah, that that's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So in computer science, sorting is a common problem and there's a large class of related sorting algorithms. Is sorting in the real world similar to sorting a set of data on a computer? Uh it's similar, but I would not say very uh very very likely. Uh there are different uh, ways of doing it in a physical uh, physical thing uh one one thing we, that we need to understand is that um, uh, we are talking about uh, you know physical packets so you have uh, you don't have a that good a control that you have you are have on your sorting strings or uh, you know data that you sort on your computers so mm-hmm. i would say it's it's not it's it's a slightly different from from that Uh, okay also here what you need to understand is that uh, the 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 where which 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 category which packets need to go in is being uh, you know given by the customer so let's say there are uh, 10 categories uh, the customer clearly mentions that uh, so so i'll explain a little more about sortation system to explain this so sortation system basically contains multiple paths uh one of the most important part of it is uh, uh scanning system so so scanning system scans the barcodes uh, over the shipments that are being put on the system and then the uh, there is a control system for sortation system as well which uh, basically uh, you know figures out that which category does this barcode belongs to and then that is sorted into 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 that category uh the tough part of the sortation system is that uh, you need to do a very very uh, i would say critical uh, uh, fifo management so you know if if you really screw a little bit on fifo then all the packets will go in a wrong critic, uh, categories right so we we follow a very very strict fifo structure uh, while uh, while doing uh, you know uh, sortation uh, sorting in the sortation system Mm. So do the sorter and the butler work together? Yes, so after the shipments are picked uh, uh 
picked on the butler system uh, they are packed and then put over the sortation systems for uh, you know final bagging and uh, dispatch so yeah there is uh, in, in fact we have done it uh, in quite a number of warehouses where where there's been the complete chain from picking to packing to sortation is uh, done by sortation and butler system hmm and so all of your products the sorter and the butler they work together on a common platform I'd like to know more about this platform. Like, what are the common software features across your products? So, I think uh, what we have done now is one one very important uh, part of uh, either Butler system and sortation system uh, is what we call as interface or integration layer. Uh, inter- integration layer or interface layer is something that uh, uh, that enables Butler system and sortation system to connect to different warehouse management systems. Uh, so when you go into any warehouse and, and install one of these products, you need to uh, connect to warehousing uh, system, uh, their warehouse management system. So so we have exposed a common layer for uh, Butler system and uh, sortation system, and as well, uh, you're planning to coming up with few more products in the same layer, uh, so that we can interact very very I would say easily to standard warehouse management systems as well as other customer warehouse management systems. So, so that's that's one thing that uh, we have a standard layer for integrating all our hardwares for to to any of the warehouse management systems like Manhattan or Red Perry and and the mm. and the ones which are custom developed. We have a very standard API. So, so we made integration uh, a lot easier than what normally systems have, right? And uh, so you're you're talking about the API between right. your system and the external system, right? Exactly. So I'm I'm curious about the API between your different robots. Like, what is the API between the sorter and the butler? Okay, okay. So uh, normally, what happens is that uh, uh, firstly, sortation, sortation system and butler system. Uh, butlers do not interact with sortation system. The butler control system basically interacts with the software uh, sorter control system. So, so things like that. Okay, these packets have been picked, and they are they're gonna be expected on sorters, and things like that are basically basically communicated between uh, butler control systems and uh, the sortation control system. So, so, so there is. I would say it's not a it's not a very chatty system. Uh, whenever whenever a set of items are picked and packed, that information is basically passed uh, to the sortation system. Uh, to you know, ensure that it is sorting things uh, in, in mm. the right category. Okay, interesting. So it seems like these these two robotics platforms they're they're operating kind of serially, so they don't really need to have much back and forth between them. Yes, a lot of back and forth is definitely required uh, when you are interact when the Buntra control system is interacting with butlers because that's a, that's a very very I would say tedious communication and uh, pretty much. Uh, Every every few milliseconds, uh, there is a communication between uh, uh, between sort uh, butlers and the butler control system, which is over Wi-Fi. Yeah, let's talk more about that. So, um, you know, from a from a software standpoint, how do you coordinate the actions of numerous robots? Right. So, I think uh, as I discussed earlier, there is something called a reservation a reservation system. So, so there is a, 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 a there is a part of control system which uh, knows where each of the butler is, as well as when butlers are moving, when they move from one grid point to other grid point, they send this information back to the 
the control system that I've uh, you know I've moved now my current position is uh, you know this grid point. So let's say a butler goes on a gets a command from uh, moving from point A to point B, right? Uh, what happens is that uh, uh, the control system calculates uh, a right path to kind of uh, go from point A to point B, and then what it does is as it starts moving, it starts reserving the next three you know grid points that it will be in few in some time right and mm-hmm. so it, if at the same time the other uh, other butler uh, tries to reserve a path right then it will not be able to reserve making sure that there are no collisions right so <laughs> if you talk about this uh, every butler on the ground has a process uh, over the server as well so so basically once a butler gets uh, you know, uh, you know, a command to move from point A to point B. It uh, tries and place it places a request to the reservation system that I want to, you know, reserve the next three grid points that I need to move to. And the reservation system manages uh, and makes sure that there is never two. Uh, it doesn't give reservation to you know two different uh, butlers at the same time. Wow. So how do you? Uh like how do you synchronize this like how do you ensure that there is no edge case where you can end up with some collision or or have you know because i imagine there's you know potential scenario where like there's latency or there's a you know i don't know um temporary network uh network partition you know all the things that can happen with cap theorem right. um right. you know so, how do you how, how do you how do you handle those yeah i know what you're talking about so yeah so basically what happens is that um, uh, what you really do is that you always first reserve and then only ask any butler to move. So you're making sure that uh, uh, once you're 100% sure that you have reserved the next three grids and uh, then only you, you know, give that, uh, I would say, permission for butler to move, right? And, uh, and, and also, I think one thing that really helps in doing that is uh, what we're using to do the complete system is uh, we're using a language called Erlang. Uh, it's, it's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. It's a functional language uh, that, that we are building the complete system on. Right. So, so, so what we are, and, and we are using uh, React as the database, uh, making sure that uh, at least the database, uh, database latencies are very less, but uh, in terms of, uh, I would say, uh, these calls are sync calls, so we make sure that uh, uh, anything is definitely reserved before you, you know, give any permission to Butler to move. Also, this uh, this happens uh, really, really uh, real time, I must say. So you can't really see that okay, a Butler is waiting for the reservation, but in the back end, it's always a sync call, making sure that. Uh, only once when the reservation is done, we you give uh, you give permission for butlers to move. Hmm. Interesting. Can you talk more about your your Erlang uh, message? I, I imagine it's a message passing system between your uh, between your butlers and the and the uh, the central co- uh, control system. I mean, how did you how did you decide to use Erlang and and uh, and what kinds of what kinds of things have you built with it? Okay. So. Uh, the decision of using Erlang uh, basically came from the point that uh, the uh, so so a warehouse can have as as large as you know 500 to 1000 robots uh, working together 
so we really wanted a system that can uh, that can really scale and uh, you know alang uh, at its very core is something that can definitely help you scale right and uh, one other thing that we while we were evaluating alang uh, you know uh, we we figured out is that uh, you can handle uh, multiple processes uh, in in a very very i would say a uh, different way than you handle in c c plus plus or uh, any of uh, those kind of things uh, you can you can go to a very very you know you know one thing that you want in these kind of uh, softwares is that uh, things need to be very very real time uh, because uh, you are doing a lot of real time communication and processing and things like that so 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 another option was c c plus plus but then uh, you know getting uh, a very very good uh, Uh, Alang is basically a very very good compiler over C C plus plus, which helps you to you know really handle processes in a very different way and in a very organized way. Uh, also, one thing uh, which is great about Alang and which we use uh, uh, a lot in our uh, server uh, server software is that uh, it, uh, it crashing of a process is inherently built into it. so you can very well do you know saving the context of a process and then let it crash and then spawn a new process to kind of continue uh, continue with it that is something which is uh, i would say really really uh, good in uh, built in in erlang to kind of uh, which is very suitable for uh, for systems like us so when a butler crashes do the other butlers continue operating yes absolutely so let's say if uh, due to some reason the process uh, for a butler on the ground so butler doesn't crashes uh, it's the process on of that butler right. due to some random reason uh, it crashes it makes sure that uh, you know it saves the context for that butler in 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 that case even let's say if a butler is performing some task and uh, if uh, if let's say it's saying that okay you know go to rack uh, a and then pick it up and go to point b uh, let's say if the process for that that butler crashes the context of the whole process gets saved and uh, then uh, i would say uh, the, the the task management system ensures that it distribute that task in other butlers rather than uh, you know that task getting stuck so so that 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 pretty much happens uh, uh, very nicely in erlang So you also mentioned that you use React as the database. What what are the advantages of React? So I would say uh, uh, when when you start using uh, uh, you know Erlang uh, as a system, there are a couple of databases that really I would say work with uh, with Erlang. Uh, Amnesia is one of them, and React is another. So so I think uh, you you can use uh, Amnesia and React both uh, at at some point of time, but uh, let's say if you want want it to be highly scalable so so you see react is something that uh, that works really well when you have let's say four or five different nodes and uh, still you want you know a distributed uh, uh, distributed database so again one one very important thing that that's about react is that uh, you can very have easily have distributed uh, nodes of the database that can work together and for us where database uh, goes to a decently high size and uh, even uh, you know number of uh, ios happening on a database uh, is really really high you would really want a database that can uh, work very well when you separate it into different nodes and uh, still do uh, there is a central system that is trying to you know use that database what's the consistency model of react 
so uh, I think uh, what happens is that uh, it it makes sure that it locks uh, whenever whenever there are different nodes, it makes sure that it uh, locks uh, when locks for a certain I/O and then uh, you know unlocks when 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 this is done. So I think that's that's how the consistency is. Uh, I would say maintained in React. Okay, interesting. Um, I mean, what are the what are the typical things? What like did you did you try out other databases before using React and you had you had uh, you know problems like uh, I don't know some conflict resolution problems or uh, so so we we were uh, initially on Amnesia uh, which which is uh, normally that uh, that is used with I would say uh, uh, Erlang. Uh, the uh-huh. only problem there was that uh, we couldn't go a lot distributed uh, in uh, in Erlang, so so that's uh, in uh, Amnesia. So that's that's been one reason I would say uh, we we shift to React. Interesting. How often do you update the software on on the machines that are running? Like, do you do you push out updates to to um, to butlers that are running? Uh, definitely. So all the butlers uh, like can be updated, uh, updated while they're running. So uh, not while they're moving, but while they're running. So you know you can uh, you know as soon as uh, so the butler firmware inside butler have uh, have something like uh, where you can uh, you know send in the I would say firmware update packet and they will stop and then they'll receive the firmware over Wi-Fi and then burn the firmware. So so inside the butler basically there are. Uh, uh, there are a couple of microcontrollers that do the navigation system as well as communication from the server. So majorly, we are using, uh, I would say, Cortex A8s uh, inside the in, inside the Butler system to kind of uh, you know uh, do different uh, different paths. So these Cortex A8 uh, uh, controllers are basically connected over Wi-Fi and they can receive, uh, I would say, pa- uh, firmware update packets and then burn the firmware. Uh, safely in them and then again start running so we definitely keep on pushing i would say uh monthly updates on butlers as well from the butler server have you had to do much in the way of machine learning so okay we have, we have just started uh, started doing like that i'll give you an example uh, right now we are concentrating on i would say using uh, some kind of i would say some methods of machine learning uh, for making sure that uh, whenever hardware gets degraded, uh, you can uh, uh, you can I would say uh, still maintain the performance of the bot. So I'll give you an example, uh, you know, to uh, to give uh, to um, uh, to explain this, right? So let's say um, uh, butlers are moving on the grid points, and uh, after some time, let's say eight months or ten months down the line. Uh, uh, the one of the butler's uh, motors, let's say right motors, the efficiency of the right motor has gone down, right? So what happens is the butler starts moving, uh, I would say, slightly off the grid. Uh, in and and while while we uh, very well know that uh, okay, when the butler started moving off the grid, what we start doing is we start figuring out uh, what was the historical data of that butler and. Uh, you know when how does it when did it start moving off the grid and what was the pattern of it moving off the grid and uh, once we you know figured that out uh, we start uh, you know the butler system itself starts tuning the i would say the different uh, pid parameters of the motor uh, to make sure that it again starts you know it, it overcomes for its efficiency and uh, starts again moving uh, you know exactly on the grid 
So these kind mm. of systems are being, uh, I, I think, are being, uh, you know, placed and we are doing these kind of things for different other uh, aspects of butler systems as well. Another one, one good example of it is, so let's say, um, uh, let's say a butler is working in a warehouse where uh, each order contains, let's say, two items. Uh, uh, so there are two order lines for each order. And then suddenly, uh, what uh, let's say, what happens is that number of order lines per order starts increasing, right? So slowly, the butler system starts analyzing that and then, uh, uh, then starts sending lesser butler on each pick station, which has more number of order lines per order because the person is going to take uh, more time to pick more order lines. So these kind of, I would say, uh, optimizations has been, uh, we have started doing through you know, AI and machine learning. So I guess you didn't have to do that early on because your problem is fairly well formed. I mean, I guess that's one of the advantages of working in a warehouse is you get, really get to control your circumstances and it's a very well formed problem. Uh, so you, a lot of times it's, uh, that's not completely true because the oh. input that you are getting is uh, very variable. So, so at some point of time you might get, uh, I would say, 100 orders in an hour and at some point of time you mm. can get 2,000 in an hour. So, so still uh, you would have to you know, understand what is the order behavior pattern and uh, then uh, you know you know uh, tweak your uh, so this this is always obviously done automatically in the butler server that that uh, you know understanding the order behavioral pattern and then uh, you know tweaking few variables inside the butler system to make sure that it can you know work with its full efficiency in that kind of uh, order pattern so that's that's uh, i would say something that is done according to the Understand, the butler server basically understands the pattern of the order flowing in and then automatically you know tweaks a few variables to make sure that the you know efficiency of the system is still maintained so could i mean could you delve into that a little more like what happens if the you know if 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 the warehouse gets slammed with a bunch of orders all of a sudden and you know i mean how do the robots adjust yeah so so basically what happens is that um, you know uh, there is a fair distribution of robots uh, between pick station, put station, and charging, right? So, so d- depending upon uh, how the load is, so let's say if there is a too much, uh, there are too many orders that are slammed into the system, uh, then uh, you know the charging of butlers, uh, you know, gets stops, and every all the butlers start working only for pick. We we do we starts giving lesser priority to the put stations and. Uh, you know, we start directing more butlers to the pick station and, you know, uh, so things like that starts happening. Basically, then you increase the priority of the pick in the complete system uh, to, to a higher value. So so more, more butlers are then start concentrating towards, uh, you know, helping in picking of the items rather than putting or charging or any other tasks. Mm, interesting. So I, I'm curious about the the management perspective of uh of this company like uh how how do you you know there's so so many different things you need to do in a robotics company you've got hardware issues software issues uh customer issues how do you manage your engineering teams right so so uh, just to kind of uh, get the context here uh, we we have right now uh, i would say five engineering teams so starting with uh, mechanical engineering, then electronics and electrical, then we have firmware, then of course we have server and uh, UI UX. So, so these are the five engineering teams that we house. Uh, I think uh, how we have uh, been able to 
you know manage this whole uh, startup is that uh, you need uh, very very strong uh, i would say technical architects at the at the top of each engineering team so so which can you know help in uh, you know you know making sure that that part of the engineering is really really strong and then uh, with these strong technical architects for their particular uh, uh, i would say department or particular engineering you need one more person uh, in with them who are very i would say cross functional uh, in in nature so so our major teams are like uh, are uh, led by you know two people which are one person who is very very i would say strong uh, in their own field and then there's a person who has a very very good understanding of cross functional nature of product development mm. so so these two people are basically uh, uh, these these are the two people which try and lead the team and uh, all the four or five cross functional uh, people they they try and work with uh, you know i would say experts in different engineering field to make sure that the product layer is very very stable and uh, i would say uh, competent so so that's that's one way of doing it and again there's a uh, there, there is a another team of product management uh, and program management uh, which help in executing different tasks so, so that's that's how the organization is basically restructured so so these cross functional people like I, I this this management structure is really interesting where you have uh, somebody at the top of each part of the engineering organization and then you also have like a cross functional person does the cross functional person just spend a lot of time in in meetings that are in the adjacent engineering organizations right so cross functional person uh, is definitely uh, definitely required to you know attend meetings and rather than uh, uh, it he definitely attend meetings but he also makes sure that uh, there is no communication gap between uh, different i would say engineering teams so so there is no communication gap between embedded team and the server team uh, responsibility of the team members in the uh, let's say server team and embedded team so they make sure that uh, that, that there is no break in consistency of i would say product definition while you move from mechanical to ui ux right it's it's a while you have five large teams working together on a single product uh, the the biggest uh, challenge is that there is no i would say consistency break during product definition uh, so, can, so can you give an example of when that's happened when you've yeah, had a consistency so I'll break a, yeah i'll give you a classic example of that so let's say uh, you are building obstacle detection system uh, for for the robots right so so uh, to build that uh, you know you need you need your uh, mechanical team to identify where is the right place of you know uh, where is the right location where you, you would put your obstacle det- detection system your electronics need to understand okay that these are the circuit trees or these are the pcbs and these are the sensors that are required to do that now your firmware team needs to program them and you know understand them uh, that how how does they respond to different uh, obstacles that come in and the server team needs to handle uh, you know that uh, you know once the obstacle detection system says that there's an obstacle they need to you know inform to the server you know do the reservation and things like that and on the other end ui ux people needs to you know you know show that in in on the map of the butler server that okay this uh, robot has found obstacle so so it at any point of time let's say if a electronics guy or a firmware guy you know there is a lack of information and communication there that where the obstacle de- detection system is getting placed 
uh, he might write a completely different algorithm and code and, and things mm. like that and realize at the very end when when the prototype comes to him that he, that, that the last three weeks of the work is completely scrapped right so 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 things like that you know do happen sometimes but uh, to fight things like that uh, that the structure that we have uh, formed is something to kind of mitigate these problems do, do you have any interesting software testing strategies to in order to align these different teams together right so what we do is that we have a lot of emulators i would say um, emulators mm. are like uh, simulators plus hardware so uh, emulators so so pretty much everything that uh, goes on to the real systems uh, is very very i would say rigorously emulated over things so you build an emulator where uh, even the firmware codes are running on the microcontrollers itself and the server is running uh, the, the, the live code and then uh, you have another set of microcontrollers that uh, try and I would say emulate uh, order or things like that. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, so you, we have a very, very, I would say, uh, in fact, there is a separate team that, uh, that only works on creating emulation tools uh, for different teams so that we can test things well before putting things on ground. Okay. Your vision for Gray Orange is a global company. How does starting your company in India change this trajectory or affect this trajectory? Yeah, so I'll, I'll be frank on this. So normally, uh, you know, uh, hardware products from India are not that common. Uh, so that definitely kind of gives uh, a little, I would say, pushback when you when you go and say that you wanna uh, you have a hardware product uh, which was built out of India. So I think that's that that's definitely a tough challenge. But but I guess uh, uh, as as we grow and we 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 now in in fact our team now have a lot of other people from Singapore and Hong Kong and uh, Japan and things like that. So I think we are trying to make a much more uh, I would say international team uh, so, so that you know we get. I would say the best of different par- different geographies in terms of technology, understanding of a platform and things like that. So, so yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little tough to kind of uh, you know uh, you know directly sell your products uh, outside India. But I think uh, we have started doing well now. While we have a, a couple of butler installations in Hong Kong as well as sortation installations in different parts of Southeast Asia, we are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, butler system in japan as well so i i would say initially it's definitely tough but uh, i would say uh, we we need to build a good brand uh, a brand kind of make sure that we mitigate with that problem what do you think is unique about the engineering culture in india right so i think uh, one thing that uh, that is really required when you are uh, doing uh, uh, doing a product like this is you need to be really, really iterative uh, instead of thinking that you're going to have a waterfall model and uh, just think about something and, you know, land up after 10 months uh, with the product. So I think, uh, it, you know, product developments like uh, one we are having need to be very, very iterative. And I think uh, that is something which is uh, good in, I would say, Indian engineers. They are ready to, I would say, you know, accept mistakes at uh, at some point of time, say okay, this the uh, you know the, the, these are the problems. Let's just try and you know do it again in a different way. So I think that's that, that these they are not I would say uh, very very fixed on something that you know uh, you know that this is the only way of doing it and or I'll only do it in this way. So so iterativeness is something which is uh, 
which is very which we are very comfortable with uh, as far as indian engineers are uh, you know uh, are concerned so and uh, so that pretty much matches up with uh, the whole uh, hardware development philosophy with iteration uh, in in this product development do engineers in india see engineering as more of an art or more as a science i, I think we would see it more as a science not as art mm. what about you personally <laughs> Um, personally, I think uh, I would I would still feel it's more of a science than art. Uh, I would, in fact, if I slightly go into a detail, uh, there are different uh, levels of uh, engineering. So I think uh, when you get a product uh, concept, I think uh, getting to the point where you have a high-level design doc is uh, so you know high level technical design doc or technical requirement doc i would say that's more of a art and then once you have a high level design doc or a, uh, something like a technical requirement doc then i think it's more more kind of a science so from a concept to a high level technical design doc i would say it's more of a art uh, and then once you have a very clear specification uh, documentation for uh, for your uh, i would say product then it's it's more of a sign so that's that's at least my view on it yeah i i think that's a that's a very very balanced way of looking at it um so i'm curious about the the customer uh onboarding process like mm-hmm. when when a customer decides to go with gray orange and and have these robotic systems put in their warehouse Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, how do how do they get started? Do they need a totally empty warehouse, and you guys suit it out, or how does how does the onboarding process so, work? So yeah, we've been doing yeah, we've been doing both kind of uh, projects right now. So greenfield and brownfield. Greenfields are the one which uh, where you get uh, you know brand new uh, blank warehouse where you are, you want to build, and uh, brownfields are the one where uh, operations running, and then you gonna you know take a certain part of the warehouse and then automate yeah. it with the butler systems. So I think um, we we have a, a, a small team uh, that firstly does uh, I would say evaluation of of the warehouse and places and then comes up with the list of things uh, that needs to be done. Uh, so then you get to our FNI team and uh, you know get get these things done. While while the whole warehouse I would say evaluation and preparation is happening on the background, uh, the integration team starts working with the. Integration team of, uh, I would say, of uh, the customer to do API integrations and things like that. How modular is the is the uh, typical gray orange deployment? I mean, can you make accommodations for for uh, for any types of warehouses that have some some sort of edge case? Uh, I didn't get it. Modular in terms of scalability, or modular in terms of uh, getting different components. And can you can you explain? That? So so like depending on how the different where I mean I imagine not every warehouse customer is the same. I mean maybe they're maybe they're more similar than I think. But but um you know are are there, are there any types of warehouses that where you can't you your your system is not modular enough? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. So so what we have done is, uh, in fact, initially when we were doing, I'm sure uh, uh, we, we faced a lot of problem in, in the same front because uh, different uh, different uh, uh, warehouses are different processes. So you try, you need to, you know, map that process uh, with your Butler system if you want the whole ecosystem of that warehouse to work well. 
right? So I think uh, uh, learning from that, what we have done is that we have made a, a very nice tool for, uh, I would say, process customization and process mapping in a warehouse uh, in which you can, you know, play around uh, with different uh, steps and processes and say that, okay, you know, if you are doing... Uh, uh, I would say quality check, then these are the different steps you can do in quality check, and you can choose what, any of these three steps. And you did mention scalability. That's an interesting question. Like, how big can these warehouses get? Right. How so, many? So, so, again, a very, very, I would say, important feature and a really good feature for Butler system uh, is that uh, the, you can really scale warehouse, and that's why it's been uh, really popular as well. So, let's say, for example, uh, uh, you you have a 100,000 square foot warehouse, but you really want to only start with, let's say, 20,000 uh, square foot. Uh, mm-hmm. You can uh, only do gridding and you can only run whole thing on, a, I would say, uh, on this part of it. And let's say three months later, you want to expand it. You can just, you know, extend the gridding and, you know, and throw a few more robots and still going to run together. So you can keep on expanding uh, till from 10,000 to 100,000 without really affecting any other parts of operation. So, so yeah, so it's, it's absolutely scalable on the go kind of a thing. Very cool. How is the tech industry in India evolving? Is it becoming more of a, of a startup friendly environment? I would say software industry, definitely hardware industry. I think in hardware industry, we will still take some time to kind of catch up and uh, get to that kind of uh, ecosystem where you can do very quick hardware prototyping and things like that. So software industry, definitely we are right up uh, up to that point where, is, uh, where there's a, there is a very, very good, I would say, startup ecosystem and culture. Hardware system, we are still catching up. Well, Akash Gupta, thank you for coming out to Software Engineering Daily, and I look forward to seeing more great companies like Gray Orange emerge out of India. It's been a pleasure chatting with you about robotics and warehouse automation.